Welcome to another stop on the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Vincent Williams, and I'm joined as always by... Yo, what's up, Highlight Your Boy? This is Len, a.k.a. The Bat Tribble. And on this stop on the Michelle Mission, as we continue the Pandemic Chronicles, we will spend time... <laughs> is that what we're calling them, the Pandemic? <laughs> That's what I'm calling it. I'm trying to help market it. I'm trying to help Podglomerate put them together. <laughs> the Pandemic Chronicles. The, the Pandemic Chronicles. During this challenging moment in all of our lives, as we stay alone together, we come here on the Michelle Mission to lighten the mood with the uplifting tale of a 13-year-old's struggle with heroin addiction. <laughs> 1978, A Hero Ain't Nothing But a Sandwich, The Choice of Lynn Webb. <laughs> but before we get to this light, frothy frolic through the 1970s, <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> we have a uh... We always like to start the show going through all the feedback that we get from everybody. We got a 13-year-old junkie <laughs> in here. An actual line of dialogue from the film. Okay. Okay. Lynn, why was he at rehab and it was a bunch of people yelling at him? <laughs> Can you wait? Can you wait for the I review? Said, Rehab is this. Can you wait for the second half of the show? Yes. You're save a dope it. fiend. Ain't you a dope fiend? <laughs> Just save it. Just save Go it, ahead. man. Just save it. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, first, ladies and gentlemen, as always, we like to start with our listener feedback and that we get from each and every one of you. We got an email, Vince, from Terry Plain. Hey, Terry. Hi, Vince. And Len, I was listening to a Michaud Mission review from September 2018 of The Defiant Ones. Oh, nice. Admittedly, I skipped a few minutes in the beginning. There were spotty comments about a sister act three that thankfully has not come to fruition. <laughs> What's more tragic is that BET's Boomerang actually did. But nonetheless... I thoroughly enjoyed the review of The Defiant Ones. Where I felt I missed something was later in the review when you commented on other remakes of this 1958 movie. Did I miss you commenting on the 1996 remake of the movie titled Fled, starring Larry Fishburne? Or Lawrence oh. Fishburne? I mentioned this because I actually saw Fled before I saw the original classic with Sidney Poitier. I wholeheartedly agree that none of its remake holds a candle to the iconic original. But the 90s had me in had me a fool in love for for Fishburne, so he could do no wrong. What say you on featuring Fled for a future review? Uh Terry Plain. And I agree. I've been fooling in forever. And I, I, I always Wait a minute. Well, what, re that? Repeat that, repeat that, Vince. You kind of broke up a little bit. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I said I agree. I like Fled. I don't remember. Was it officially a, a remake? I mean, I, I, I 
vaguely remember the film, so I do think that it it probably is a remake, and they did just retitled Fled. You know, um, right? I'd have to see it again. I seem to remember enjoying it, but like like Terry said, the '90s Lawrence Fishburne could do no wrong. I mean, he was just True. you know he was just he was the black man on, on film at that at that point. So um, who knows? Um, but yeah, so that, that that that's not a bad film to. Well, I mean, yeah, eventually we'll get to it. Eventually we'll get to it. I do have to say that in my looking, you know, sometimes looking for like '90s films to check out and you know stuff like that. Fled is not one that has crossed my radar, so that's good that somebody to bring that up on an email. Yeah, I'd actually forgotten about it until this conversation. Yeah, appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, so thank you, Terry. Thank you, Terry. Thank you very much. We appreciate that um, for that email. And thank you to each and every one of you that emails us at mission at gmail.com. Feel free to hit us up or follow us on all the social medias at mission. Uh, it's been a long time, Vince, since we've taken a, a walk around the Facebook group to see oh. what's on people's mind and what kind of news they've, they've shared with us. Um I don't know if you're aware of this, Vince. There is a new series that's going to be debuting on HBO that explores sexual content called I May Destroy You. Oh, yeah. And it the star of the of the of the series is none other than uh, Nicola Cole. Yeah, our girl. Our girl uh, seen on seen on Chewing gum and also yeah, on a, gum. and a very historic episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the the show, the official description of the show, I May Destroy You, a fearless, frank and provocative half hour series exploring the question of sexual consent and where in the new landscape of dating and relationships, the distinction between liberation and exploitation Lies set in London, where gratification is only an app away. The story centers on Arabella, played by Cole, a carefree, self-assured Londoner with a group of great friends, a boyfriend in Italy, and a burgeoning writing career. But when her drink is spiked with a date rape drug, she must question and rebuild every element of her life. Well, that sounds kind of... Yeah, I mean, it sounds kind of heavy, but but you know, Michaela Cole can do no wrong, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so I'm she's there. no joke. She's no joke. I'm I'm interested in yeah. that. Definitely interested yeah. in that. Checking that out. And and the trailer looks interesting. Yes, it does. Like it looks like it's well done. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Let's see what else have people have been posting to our Facebook group, Vince. Um, have you checked out Little Fires on Hulu? I have not. It is on the list, but but I have to say, it's fairly far down on the list. Really? Yeah, like I'm going to get to it. Okay. Did you watch it? I tried to check it out. I I tried to look at it. It just didn't grab me. Um, I've heard, you know, people... I've heard some people say they enjoy it. Some people say they don't enjoy it. Um, but... It just didn't grab me a little bit. It didn't. It just didn't hit me. I did watch Uncorked on Netflix. How was that? It's cute. It's a cute movie. 
This is cute. Also I mean, on my list. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not, you know, it's not changing the game or anything like that. But I thought it was, um, it was very well done. It's romantic. It's, it's, it's sweet. Uh, it's a different side of black society that you don't usually see chronicled as much. Um, it's intelligent. I, I enjoyed it. It was pretty dope. I, okay. I have to All say, right. I watched that and I also finished Queen Sono on Netflix, which is the <sighs> African kind of like action. Uh, adventure series on there that's also uh, on your list and that you haven't have gotten yet, to. I have yet to begin Queen Sonos. Yes, yes. Vince, Queen Sonos. I know it doesn't disappoint. I know. I, look, so many of these, they all look so good. I know it does not disappoint, Vince. You know, at some time, Vince, you've got I to know. put the YouTube down. I know. Sip you a- know the bad thing. I got sucked into a Justice League vortex. What the, the the animated show? The animated show. I got sucked into a I was cleaning out the basement and I had you know, I cause I have it on DVD. Okay, yeah, me too. And and you know, it's like, oh you you slip it, yo, and then and then I looked up and <laughs> season you know. one was was at its season right. finale. Well I might as well just right. finish watching the season. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, it doesn't get really good until the second season. So <laughs> Yeah, so I know. I know. Vince. I know. Vince, you have no excuse, man. You, I, I, really, I really don't. You cannot be saying, yeah, I didn't check that out. I didn't check that out. I fell in a Justice League vortex. <laughs> <laughs> so I was digging in the basement through some boxes. <laughs> right, right. That's not good, Vince. I know. I'm terrible. I am. I am. Oh, Vince. Well, um, it, well, maybe someday, someday you'll check it out. I don't know. I don't know what to do with you. I'm trying to uphold it. I'm trying to keep it up, ladies and gentlemen. You see, I'm watching the black films. I'm watching the black TV. Well, remember, remember, like a month ago, I was telling you about how good the Black Godfather was. You were, yes, yes, the one that came out in 2019. Right. I was like that Black Godfather documentary is really good. <laughs> So, I'm, 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 I'll work. I get to it eventually. I'm going. To, you know what? I think it's, it's so good that white people remade it as The Godfather. I'm going to check that out too. <laughs> right, right. Oh no, I mean the documentary. I know, Vince. I was making a joke. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Make I'm it, still uh, racked with guilt. And well, you should be. Well, you yeah. should be. Well, then, okay. Let me give you an opportunity, Vince, to, um, you know dust off some of that guilt. Have you been able to check out Black AF on Netflix? No, I didn't because I had no plans on watching it. You had no plans on watching Black I AF, the Kenya no Burris series? I whatsoever of watching it. We talked about this when it was announced. I like Kenya Burris well enough. Like, I like Blackish, but I like Blackish because I like the cast. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I watch Grownish. You know, I actually like Yar Shahidi. That's another where I like the cast. But there was nothing about that project that told told me I want to follow him into it. And then from the reviews I was getting, both from my friends and from what I've read, it also did not seem like something I was remotely interested in, just because of time. Really. And then and then when the brouhaha started, and and even on the Facebook group, people were talking and. And then people asked us to, to watch this episode. 
that dealt directly with black criticism. Yes, yes. So I, I watched this episode. That was episode have, five. Episode five. And I have no plans on watching any more of them. Okay. Well, as you did mention, uh, a frequent fan, a big fan of the Michelle Mission, Toya Toya Haynes of First Time. Hey, what's up, Toya? A First Time I Heard podcast. Um, and also, she has a new podcast out called uh, Unsung Unwrapped, where she right. re- reviews episode of the, the TV One series Unsung, along with her friend Nikki Wright. It's kind of fun podcast as well. She is the one that asked us specifically to watch episode five because it did deal with criticism of black films. And it also featured in a, a cameo appearance, Tyler Perry. Yes, it did. Writer, director of Nobody's Fool, the most recent Tyler Perry film that we had reviewed here on the Michelle Mission. And a frequent subject of conversation on this show. On this show, most definitely. Um, And uh, that episode, which dealt with Kenya, who pretty much is playing like a caricature of himself. So he is a television producer on on this show is asked to host a panel about a new black film that he, as well as his daughter, do not enjoy, despite everyone in their screening seeming to enjoy it immensely, and and including his family, who later checks out the film. Everyone seems to love this film, and they can't quite wrap their head about what it is that people are enjoying about this film. Thus, he is then led to speak to Tyler Perry. No, first he's, he's, uh, Kenya is led to speak to other peers of his. It was a fun kind of like zoom conversation that he has with a a number of black, um, television and movie producers before who, before he goes off and does a, um, sit down with Tyler Perry asking his viewpoint. Um, I, well, first of of all, what did you think about the message of the episode itself in that Kenya's viewpoint was that he felt in order, and he actually mentions it in the show, that in order for black creatives or to grow in their art form that we there does have to be some level of policing of one another that if they see something that they find is wanting they have to be able to have that open conversation with with each other and discuss it and be able to you know critique their work in that way. Um, and it seemed like that was not the case. Actually, it's a very funny bit where Lena Waithe, who also guest stars on this episode, kind of throws Kenya un- under the bus a little bit at the end of the episode uh, about this. How how'd you feel about that, that message? Vince? <clears throat> I mean, first of all, God, where do you start? I rejected the premise of the entire episode. Really? Frankly? Yeah. I, I think you, you said that the argument about self-policing and self-critique from black critics, but, but you know, that's actually only one half of it. 
Like there's also, he, he also made this argument about white critics mm. and, and this sentiment that white critics give black projects a pass. Right, right. And the implication was because they were scared of being seen as racist. Mm-hmm. Like there's this whole moment where there's a table around at his company and they have the, you know, the white people that work for him talk about how they walk on eggshells and this, that, and the other. And first, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's true. Like, I don't think that's true. I, I think whether we're talking about, you know, just off the top of my head, the last, you know, some black films that have been around in the past year or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you're talking about something like Marseille Martin's Project Little, right? Whether we're talking about and, and Ava DuVernay made an appearance on there. Whether on we're talking about well, yeah. a wrink- on this episode, you know, we're talking about a wrinkle in time. Mm-hmm. Whether we're talking about, um, you, you know, um, um, I mean, hell, I'm trying to think of of what what has been Alfred, um, Queen and Flint, yeah. I don't think you had to go that far to find white critics who who critique them. Okay. Yeah. And 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 critique, critique them, them fairly and negatively. Right. 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 Like this sentiment that 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 white criticism doesn't have teeth because they're afraid of offending people or afraid of appearing racist. I just don't think that's factually correct. Okay. So that so that's the first part. And then the second part, you know, this notion that black people kind of give each other a pass and and certainly you know the full Tyler Perry into this. I think that's very selective viewing. And and you know I I thought it was highly ironic that Kenya Barris and Tyler Perry were in this conversation. Mm-hmm. When both of these are black creatives that frankly have gotten a lot of really pointed and really insightful black criticism for their work. Okay. You know, you know, Kenya Barris, I, I think I, I think just obviously he couldn't respond to this by the time that this episode was was made because he was in the midst of making it. But People have accused Kenya Barris of having these colorist tendencies mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, this sort of pattern of, of, of only casting light-skinned black women in most of his roles. And, and, you know, he talks about, oh, well, my wife is biracial and that's part of it. But, but regardless, it is a critique that has been there and has been going on since, since Blackish, frankly. And, yeah, but, but, and okay, okay, okay. So to say that that black people don't hold him accountable is not true. What is true is that he doesn't pay attention to it. Right. Likewise, Tyler Perry. You know, for, for as much as you and I talk about Tyler Perry, and certainly I don't expect Tyler Perry to know of our existence. Lots and lots of people have black people have critiqued Tyler. Like Tyler Perry had this whole little rant about not paying attention to white critics and, and to the white um, system and, and black people trying to get Oscars, which I 100% agree with. Mm-hmm. But Tyler Perry did not acknowledge the black criticism that he gets. 
So I, you know, I just found the whole thing just kind of really simplistic and, and a wasted opportunity to talk about something that I think obviously is important, which is the relationship of the black artist with criticism and specifically with black criticism. Okay. Um, I didn't think it would, I didn't see it necessarily as a wasted opportunity because there were some things that were brought up that resonated with me being in the, like the geek blurred sphere like I am with black tribbles and stuff like that. I keep, you know, different things come to my attention or brought to my attention, kind of like on the low from some people about things that happen within that atmosphere, right? Within that mm-hmm. dynamic. And yet for whatever reason, it doesn't bubble up to the surface. And more often than not, what it, what it is is because one, you are, you're trying to be protective of, you know, the bubble that you've created or the house that you've created, you know, so you kind of want to keep it in house, keep it in the family as much as you can, you know, Um, which I think was a bit of the argument that was being made there on that episode. Um, But I'm also of the viewpoint that if there's keeping it in the family and then there's also a time where, you know, you just got to say what you got to say, you know, uh, and you you want to be you want to hold certain people accountable. Like, that's why I think, you know, people don't have a problem of doing their writing, their think pieces and, and being critical of Tyler Perry and his out output because he's reached a point where you don't feel like you're punching down if you kind of like critique his work. A little bit, as opposed to someone who is their their first, their second time out the box, and maybe they don't have all their eyes dotted and their t's crossed, um, but you can see what they their intention being there on the screen in front of you that you you don't you maybe don't pull that apart as as much or or as publicly. Um, because you kind of want to, you know, take them by the hand and, and like massage the growth of their artistry. Um, and that was kind of like where I thought the, I pulled that message a little bit from the show. Um, what got in the way for me is that the show itself, I just didn't really 100% resonate with, um, and I wanted to, I wanted to really like it, but it felt so much like Netflix blackish that I was like, okay, so it's blackish and they can maybe say a couple of more harsher words and um, maybe a, their themes can go a little left and it looks like they have a, a bigger clothing budget. Okay. I mean, other than that, it didn't really, it just didn't really hit with me. And I, and um, in that regards, I thought that it was a missed opportunity. I thought there was a missed opportunity for there to be a little bit more sharper comedy. And in there with the comedy would have been sharper commentary. But that was, that's my say. I mean, you know, what do I know? A lot of people, like you said, your friends have been telling you, you know, mix, 
mixed uh, feelings on the show. Everybody that's been in my ear has been, they love the show. Really? Everybody? Okay. It's funny you say that because there has been one person who has said they do not love the show. They recognize the show for what it is, but they can also see the faults. And for that reason, they don't 100% love the show. And guess who that is? My daughter. So, okay. So, so parallel to the dynamic on Blackish, me and my daughter don't really ride with Blackish like that. You mean Black AF? Black Black AF. You're right. You're right. right. And that's the other thing. That's the other thing. As a comic book head, when I heard that there was going to be a Black AF on Netflix, I was like, oh my god! I thought they had, you know. I know that there was an option bought on the comic book Black, and I know that that had a spinoff called Black AF. I was like, they're putting the, they're putting the spinoff out before they put out the, the original series? Okay. Right, right. I'm with it. And and then, uh, lo and behold, it wasn't that. So. I'm yeah, with- yeah, you got it. Y- y'all got this. I, I told you we were talking before. It's it's like they found some old scripts from Blackish. And then got a cast that's not as good as the cast on Blackish. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that that is our thoughts on Black AF. Here, hey, feel free to hit us up, share your um, your feedback with us. Tell us where we're right. Tell us where we're wrong, or tell us to just go jump off a cliff. It's fine. But until we hear from you, the time has come for us to do our review of 1978's "A Hero Ain't Nothing But a Sandwich." We'll be back with the film review soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. become somebody torn between right i'm somebody right now and wrong and what started as a game this is your first pass you can't kidding will end up being the struggle of his life that's number one you gotta let it stand on your own two feet kevin hooks and academy award nominees paul winfield and cicely tyson star in a story about making choices. Yes, sir. I promise not to be a musician. That's not what I mean. And finding a reason to be happy. A Hero Ain't Nothing But a Sandwich, a 1978 film based on the 1973 young adult novel by Alice Childress, follows young Benji as he travels the street of 70s Los Angeles, with his friends and slowly but surely becomes addicted to heroin as he deals with the challenges of a family and a man in his mother's life who would like to be his stepfather. 1978, A Hero Ain't Nothing But a Sandwich, starring Larry B. Scott, Cicely Tyson, Paul Winfield, and supporting turns by Glenn Turman and Helen Martin was the choice of Lynn Webb. Lynn Webb, what do you have to say about this uplifting and madcap tale 
of 13-year-old heroin addiction. Well, Vince, I know that your tongue is firmly in your cheek when you say <laughs> uplifting and madcap tail. But the truth of the matter is, is that when you uh, plop down your money for a ticket to a movie that's titled A Hero Ain't Nothing But a Sandwich, you're at least expecting a little bit of a romp. You're at least expecting, <laughs> you know, some sunshine. You know what I mean? You know, some kids at play. You know, right, 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 um, right. you know, like maybe maybe this is kids looking up foot to their favorite baseball player. And then you realize, no, my daddy's the real hero, you know, and a, and a hero ain't nothing but a sandwich. Exactly. You know, I mean, you know, or, or exactly what you know, maybe it's somebody, you know, who who uh, is their hero is is just a sandwich and it's all about the search for the perfect pastrami. I don't know. You you don't know what this you don't know what it is but the, the the title of this film is very misleading uh <laughs> because <laughs> when i selected this movie <laughs> not looking at the synopsis <laughs> <laughs> thinking, you know what? There's got to be other 70s films besides Black Exploitation, Kung Fu, Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby comedies, and Pam Greer movies. There's got to yes. be other Black movies, right? I'm sure you had to take your kids to the movie to see something in the, as a Black person. <laughs> So there had to be something. So when I saw that this was a movie called A Hero Ain't Nothing But a Sandwich. And, and it's got a kid in it. It's got a kid, Larry B. Scott, introducing him. You know, yes. this is the introduction to to this actor. I, you know, and it's got Cecily Tyson and Paul Winfield, who apparently playing like his parental figures in this in this movie. Helen Martin, the 70s grandmother, Helen Martin, is in this movie. Look, I'm thinking, you know what? This is probably a sitcom that was ready to happen in a film. Let me check this out. And, and what happens in the first five minutes? Well, in the first five minutes, I think I'm on to something because the film opens with a real school letting out and about a hundred kids coming out of the school. And there's these two black boys and they're talking to one another is Larry B. Larry Scott as Benji. And he's talking to his friend and they're talking about how, you know, you know, about being there for one another. And it's like, oh man, you know, I wish I could buy some candy. Yo, man, if I got money, you got money. That's what's up, dog. Right. I'm like, yo, okay, this is this is what's happening. The movie, I'm with it. And then they dip, and they got like this secret entrance into this like abandoned house to go upstairs, and they got their little cut buddy upstairs. And okay, yes, they're up there, and they're they're sipping. A, it looks like Ripple. I don't know what they're drinking. Sure, sure. But they're drinking. 
probably cold duck. They're drinking and they're and they're smoking a very long joint. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, but I'm like, okay, it's the '70s. They're 13 year olds. They're getting it, they're getting it in. They're smoking a little. They're smoking a little weed. I so they're trying to be realistic. They're trying to ground this in a little bit of reality. Sure. Okay, sure. and they're having fun up there because Benji is walking around because it's his first time really getting high, and next thing you know, he's like the man of La Mancha on the side of the of the roof, and he's singing Shakespearean tales. I'm like, okay, this this movie's it's a little little crazy, a little campy, but I'm with it. I'm with these kids, and then you pass Helen Martin who. <laughs> Who Benji had bumped into on his way to his his hiding place. So he says, Oh, excuse me, grandmom. He's like, hey, baby, baby, I see you. I'll see you when I get home. Then you cut back to her, Helen Martin, the black America, black Hollywood's grandmother, walking home, looking at her numbers. All of a sudden, two boys who, if you didn't pay attention to the jeans, you might have thought were Benji and his best friend, but you realize that their clothes are slightly different. Because they are young. They're really young. Because they're really young. I mean, they literally look like they walked off the set of Sesame Street onto... Right. like 13-year-old kids. Right. Onto this, this movie set. They, you know, walk beside Helen Martin, and you next thing you know, they <laughs> push her into an alley and proceed to beat the hell out of Helen Martin. And I don't mean toss her down and are like just wrestling her purse from her. They are doing two pieces to her stomach and her face as she is laid down and then they are kicking her to take, terrible. To her, take her purse away from her. I'm like, this is the first five move, five minutes of this movie. What the hell it has terrible. happened with this? Where the where the hell are we? I'm like, yeah. yo, what's up? And those boys are never seen again in the movie. <laughs> Nothing to do with the plot, ladies and gentlemen. I thought at some point Benji was also going to mug somebody at the end so that it would go full circle. Nope. No. No. Actually, because what you're doing, because then it goes back to Benji up on the roof. You're waiting for those boys to maybe show up there as their boys. Like, yo, look what we got. Yada, yada, yada. And maybe he sees his grandmom's ID. I don't know. It has nothing to do with the plot. I'm like, okay, I don't know where we are. <laughs> but I've chosen this film, so I... Yes, yes you did. <laughs> you chose this film. So I gotta stay there. So later at Benji's house, where his grandmother, fresh off her um, 12 rounds with Tyson, lumped up. I mean, she is lumped up Vince <laughs> and Cecily Tyson her daughter Benji's mom is taking care of taking care of her and here you see the family dynamics come out because Benji comes in and he's concerned about his grandma he doesn't know what happened because he doesn't apparently doesn't know the boys you know I don't know them they weren't on the call sheet I didn't I don't know who they were um, right 
Paul Winfield comes comes home. You realize that he is. You learn quickly. You learn that he's not Benji's father. He's not his stepfather. He's Benji's mother's boyfriend who lives in the house and is trying his best to try and raise the boy. They have like a begrudging uh, relationship with one another. You and then what happens is that you learn that the boy from the roof, Caldwell, is actually into deeper stuff and is willing and is slowly trying to ply Benji and his friend over to the dark side of drugs. Why? Just because. Because if I'm going to do it, we're all going to do it. He's hey, we need customers. Yes, we need customers. So next thing you know, he's introducing him to uh, Kevin Hook's character, Tiger, who Tiger. who is a um, a insidious drug dealer. Very, very, but a a the scariest type of drug dealer because he's disarmingly charming. As a, as, as a drug dealer. I mean, it's Kevin Hooks. It's Kevin Hooks. So, yeah, Kevin Hooks. So while he is menacing, but it's that menacing that, you know, it's that men, it's, you know what it is? To, it's, it's that menacing that, you know, I could love you, but I could also love to beat the hell out of you. Right. <laughs> Which, what, what do you want? You just let right. me know. It said with a smile, with this devilish smile. And soon Benji is hooked on smack. Mm. Um, and all of the implications that that implies, the downward spiral that that takes on his life as far as in his school works, his relationships with his with his uh, his friends, his relationship with his family. Um, he starts stealing from his family. Um, and then you also realize that the whole reason that Helen Martin had to get beat, beaten up was so that that could so that you could understand why she is now afraid not only to go out of the house, but a little bit afraid even of her grandson because right. of how the, the this his drug dependency is um, taking over his life so that so that he is stealing not only from her and everyone else in the family, but he is also his whole temperament has changed and changed in the house. He is a boy who um, has a lot of anger inside of him because his father pretty much just left them. Um, right. And now he's got another man that's trying to take his take in his eyes trying to take his father's place beside his mom and he's very anti that but this his drug dependency is exasperating all of those feelings he goes to this um the rehab where i never knew that 13 year olds would go to <laughs> rehab with adults but it's the seventies. I guess that's what happens. Anything goes, anything goes in the seventies. So these adults are scared. Adult drug addicts are scare straighting him for 30 days in the middle of this film. And what is 
maybe the the most provocative and um smart part of the of this movie if style stylish uh in a stylish way as well mm-hmm. as in its temperament um you know so so i i kudos for that it it kind of like is like you know a little bit of pulling the curtain on those scenes on on that scene inside of a rehab facility um or a counseling facility. I don't think it was 100% rehab um, in 1978. So kudos for that. I'll I'll give I'll give it that. Um, right. But again, that comes like maybe in the midway part of the movie. We still got like a whole another 45 That's minutes right. of this film. That's right. Where Benji quickly descends even back down this spiral stairwell, which is what separates this film from a TV film. Because it very much has a TV movie type of vibe to it, but this actually was a feature film released in the theaters. And the difference is is that 30 days in rehab, even for a 13-year-old who seemingly wasn't strung out on drugs that long, is still not enough to keep him away from the drugs. You don't see where he's going to, anymore so you don't know whether or not he's going to tiger or or what he's doing but you do see that he quickly is showing the evidence of returning to drugs by being all blood sweaty and all this kind of stuff um but there again at that point the film takes another weird turn because the rehab didn't take hollering at benji doesn't seem to take so now his mother, C- Cecily Tyson. <laughs> who goes by sweets in the film. Yeah, yeah. Is left with no recourse. Yeah. But to take her 13-year-old boy. Yeah. Disrobe him herself. On camera. On camera. Yeah. Throw him into the bathtub. Yeah, yeah. And pour in some blue magic. Blue indigo. <laughs> blue, blue indigo voodoo. I was about to say, it's some type of voodoo. Voodoo punch. It's voodoo yeah. punch that she is then going to scrub off of him the drugs. Yes, we're going to scrub the smack off you. We're going to scrub these drugs off of you. I'm not going to show you sitting here with my privates. Boy, I made you get get down in this tub and she's scrubbing the privates. She's scrubbing underneath his legs and his arms. She's getting in there with the blue indigo voodoo punch to scrub the drugs off of him. I think we may have broken some type of federal laws by watching this. (laughs) I have not been this disturbed By childhood nudity, <laughs> since sweet sweetbacks badass. <laughs> like I did not sign up for this podcast for butt naked little boys. I at this point have thoroughly given up on this film, and am sitting back on my couch waiting for the end yeah 
Because this movie is all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And the shame of it all is that young Larry B. Scott proves to be a very captivating young actor. I don't think he's given a lot to do, but you can't take your eyes off of him. And he's very good a lot in this film. Most of the scenes where he is very good are the scenes where he is playing off of the other good thing in this movie, and that is Paul Winfield in the Mm -hmm. role of Butler. Their dynamic as a boy that is struggling to reconcile with the fact that his father is not coming back along with reconcile with this man who was in his mother's life, who is not leaving versus Paul Winfield's character, Butler as a man trying desperately to reach this young boy in the midst of a personal crisis that he's going through at the same time being um, pushed away by the boy and even sometimes by the mother, you know, despite his best intentions and he, and he himself trying hard not to fight his own, you know, uh, instincts to flee from this situation because baby, I didn't know you was in the voodoo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh Lord. But their dynamic together they're actually very good. They're actually the heart of this film. It, it, it's, it's, um, I think it's telling that this movie, though Cecily Tyson is decidedly the lead on this film, uh, or at least the, the first name in the credits, it's, I think it's telling that this film ends on Paul Winfield and Larry Scott's character, on Butler yeah. and Benji. It, it and it a lot of the crux of Benji's, you know, uh, reclamation and his in his turn from the dark side is all byproduct of the developing relationship that he has with Butler. Um, I think I think that's very telling. I think that that is a powerful message. Certainly in, in, in 1978, where in the black community, you know, let's face it, there there were issues with men running out on their relationships and running out on their commitments to their women and their thereby their children. Um, mm-hmm. So that having that commentary on another man kind of like stepping in and struggling to be a- accepted in this mess that some other brother made. Um, that's a powerful message that this film is trying to put out. And I can see that resonating with a lot of people in 1978. The problem of it is though, is that it's in a, in a film that is a little bit all over the place. Um, it's decidedly not a comedy. It, it settles on real quick that this ain't nothing funny here. <laughs> there is, there is no, there is no mustard on this sandwich. Um <laughs> So they decide that real quick. But even with the drama, the direction doesn't help the the drama, the the story 
um, based on Alice Childress' book. I haven't read the book, but the story is um, it's gripping, but I don't know how really how much meat of it of it is there. And Cecily Tyson does not do this movie any favors with her portrayal of sweets. Um, I found her very grating in this movie mm-hmm. and just waiting with bated breath for her to like for us to move on from scenes with her, regardless of whether or not she was with her son or with Butler. I, I just wanted her to like leave the leave the screen. I just, and ultimately that and the very sorrowful music of this movie. <laughs> Hubert Laws with the sad flute. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, man. I did not know a flute could wail. Jesus. Um, that just really just made this a very dour exercise of a movie and just pulled me out of it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you said you didn't expect this from the title. And and. I have to say, I was aware of of the story. Like I remember seeing a hero eating nothing but a sandwich in like the YA section when okay. we were kids. Okay, like but that was for older kids. That was for the teens. Right, right, right. But I have to say, as soon as I saw it was Paul Winfield and Cicely Tyson, I said, "Oh, this is going to be a message film." <laughs> True. You know, I, I think there was a vein of these films in the seventies. We. We talked about Black Girl mm-hmm. on a previous episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Cornbread Earl and Me, yep. in my mind, is one of the best examples of it. To a certain extent, Claudine. True, I think Paul, in this, like, like there was this almost counter-programming that some filmmakers and creators were engaging in during the 70s to say that we can make serious fare as well. Right, because because Mark notably a lot of those films, even the ones that you mentioned, are either right at the end or just after the black exploitation move. Which is what I was going to say. It's significant that this is in 1978. Yeah, yeah. Which, as you just pointed out, is towards the end mm-hmm. of the black exploitation period, and it is dour. <laughs> like, like, like it is like this is a bit of. It's it's very po-faced. Mm-hmm. It's 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 very much it, it, it's you, you very much get the sense that everyone involved in this film came into it saying we're going to make something capital I important, right, right, and capital P positive. Like like we this is going to have now you know as you said they 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 really bang you over the head with this character's real issue is that he doesn't have a father. Mm -hmm. Like he comes from a quote unquote broken home. And because of that, he's looking for something. And what he finds is drugs. (laughs) And it it almost, it's funny. You said that, that it's not an, an, an after school special because like you, I thought tonally, I thought, um, rhythmically it felt like a television film yeah yeah it felt like it was a television film and but but as you said it veers away because you know an hour into it he goes into rehab Mm -hmm. where in a television film this would happen 
usually maybe five to 10 minutes left. And then, you know, they would say something like, oh, well, he's going to have challenges, but we're going to take care of it together. And then the credits would roll. Right, right. But but this, and, and you have to admire the integrity of the way they approach the subject. This is, is fairly realistic. As you said, he goes into rehab and it doesn't take. Mm-hmm. So that he immediately kind of falls back into it. But it is hard viewing. Like it is, it is, it is just, it, it's it, in a lot of ways, the weight of it keeps it from being something that moves. Right. Like right. you really do kind of go from, from sort of ponderous scene to ponderous scene. Like we haven't even talked about like Glenn Turman plays oh, the Afrocentric teacher who's changed his name to Nigeria. <laughs> And then look, it's 1978. I guess that's what I, I guess what was hot in the streets. You just change your name to the names of African countries. <laughs> <laughs> like his boy Ghana in Ethiopia, we're in the next room. I don't know. Um, but, but you know, it's, it's like we need to get in touch with our history and we need to get in touch with all of this thing. But everything is so overt and, mm-hmm. and the film lacks subtlety. Yeah. That it's hard to really look at it as anything besides a, a PSA, yeah, or or an after school special, as you said. And I think that is reflected in the performances. Like you, I thought Cicely Tyson was was operating at such a high a high tone throughout the film. Like she was always one moment away from hysteria. Right. Right. Every scene in the film. Unlike you, I do think that there are moments, and there are quick moments. There's a moment after she and Paul Winfield's character Butler have had a breakup, it seems like, mm-hmm. and then they kind of re-meet at the bar. Yeah. And it's a quiet moment, and I actually like that. Like, that is the one scene in the film that I said, oh, there's Cicely Tyson. Yeah. Like you, okay. I think Paul Winfield and Larry B. Scott are at their best when they're with each other. Right. When they're with, you know, there are a couple, there's a quiet scene at the beginning with a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. There's a scene, of, you know, where he kind of talks to him outside on a bench. That's kind of nice. But besides that, it really is these players almost very overtly, capital A, actorly, saying these lines to one another. Okay. All right. And and it's it is it's just it's just hard watching. Um, you mentioned um Kevin Kevin Hooks just, Kevin Hooks who brings some air yes. to the film. Yes, like he's like he like he said he's a drug dealer. He brings and levels to it. He brings love to it. Like you said, there's some humor there. I I love that underlying menace mm-hmm. that's there from the very beginning. I love the I, I love the ongoing character beat that he himself doesn't have any vices. Right. <laughs> he doesn't smoke. He doesn't drink. drink. He doesn't do it. And he always has these little things about, oh, no, you don't. I don't drink because that messes up your stomach. <laughs> or I don't smoke because then I'd have to light incense. And again, he's just very fastidious as he's giving this 13-year-old heroin. <laughs> But it's just 
actual character. Yeah, yeah, real as talk. As opposed to the mouthpiece mm-hmm. that every other character is in the film. And it is, it's it's hard watching. It's hard. I do have to say, Larry B. Scott, like you, I thought Larry B. Scott was a great little actor, you know, great little child actor. And when you look up Larry B. It's weird. This is our second Larry B. Scott performance that we've talked about. Right. He was off, right, you know, because he was in Fear of a Black Hat. Mm-hmm. But what he's most well known for is being the effeminate gay black guy <laughs> in Revenge of the Nerds. I know. <laughs> and I did wonder, like, how many moments on the set of Revenge of the Nerds do you think he was sitting in his dressing room in one of those ridiculous outfits looking in the mirror saying, I performed with Cicely Tyson. (laughs) (laughs) Like, is this what it's come to? (laughs) It's like this cautionary tale. (laughs) The shame of it is, at that point, he's still in his 20s. So, 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 I know. I know. It's a shame. That's a shame what Hollywood did to Larry B. Scott. That is terrible. Because Fear of a Black Hat, he's probably like 30. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, right. he's not an old Kevin Hooks was sitting somewhere in the director's seat going, see, you should have went to directing. <laughs> I told you that active messing with your stomach. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a good one. Very nice. Active messing with your stomach. I'm a director. Look at you. You playing the gay effeminate black man in Revenge of the Nerds. I gotta go direct season two of Blossom. I'll talk to what? you. <laughs> Right, right. But they don't got me in the outfit. That's right. That's, that's right. Mm-mm. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. Yeah. But wait a minute. Lest you think, ladies and gentlemen, there's not a highlight to this film. <laughs> this film has given us heretofore unknown talents of one Helen Martin. Oh. Oh, it's so bizarre. Who? First of all, Helen Martin be a thousand years old. Dude, has she ever been under 50? Why? Helen Martin been old her whole life. <laughs> that Harriet Tubman? Why is 1978 Helen Martin old as hell? I think I think her real last name is Buttons. <laughs> I was gonna say squiggly face, I uh man with bird head. <laughs> like I thought her last name was like hieroglyphic. Her, her last name is Fire. Helen Fire. Her, her social security number is four. <laughs> Her social security number is example. <laughs> like, damn, how are you old in 1978? 
yet she's the spry one because she, she, she is a spry one in a scene that comes out of nowhere she <laughs> she announces to her family hey i used to be a dancer and what kind of dancer <laughs> what kind of dancer was she lynn did she do modern dance was she a ballerina? <laughs> no. Tap dance? That's what dancing Helen Martin do. Um, Helen Martin. <laughs> Helen Martin was a uh, a dancer of the night. <laughs> a shake dancer. She was a shake dancer. She was a shake dancer. Unless you think I'm lying, let me show you. As Helen Martin <laughs> gets up in her kitchen. She's 127 years old. <laughs> and proceeds to shake what the Lord gave her. <laughs> and now, and now you're looking at sexy Helen Martin. Now you're looking. Now what? Helen Martin. What you gonna do with that, viewer? We got a 13-year-old on the heroin. We got sexy Helen Martin. Hero ain't nothing but a sandwich. Now what? <laughs> well, now this has to be rated PG. Um... <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We're gonna have Paul Winfield play some sexy saxophone. Oh, that's true. While she dances. That's true. That's that's true. He was he was leading her on. He was into it. <laughs> I was like, what is happening in this movie? Mind you, wasn't that in the conversation where the voodoo first enters the room? Didn't they, isn't that where yes, voodoo was right, first right, touched on? Well, the voodoo home. Well, <laughs> well, the voodoo was actually a follow-up. Because remember, after she had gotten mugged, she said, when I was knocked out, I thought about the supermarket. And that's 139 in my, in my dream book. <laughs> Like you just got mugged and you think about playing the lottery? This is a strange film. Oh God. <laughs> this movie is bugged. This movie is so bugged. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. It's um it's it, it's a shame because it's a good it, 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 it it's it's hard is in its right place. And it's a nice it's a good cast. It's a good not well, but, yeah, it's not a bad cast. Um, Dude, everybody in this cast has done excellent work. You're right. You're right. It is a good cast. You're like, right. this is a good cast. It is a good cast. Um, all the way down to, and I want to give a shout out to uh, uh, character actor David Grow, who plays the other teacher, the white teacher at the school. <laughs> the white guy. <laughs> um, I just want to give a shout out to him because I, I he... He was on probably around this time was on Rhoda on uh, CBS. He and, sure was because he was yeah. married to Rhoda, and you know I, I'm a sucker for that show. So I'm a sucker for. I mean, Rhoda was a good show. I, I'm a sucker for anything Valerie Harper. I I, I, I liked Valerie Harper. Right, right. Um, not as many thirteen year old heroin addicts on Rhoda. Not no 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 they uh, they knew that they they knew their niche. So. <laughs> No sexy Helen Martin, no thirteen-year-old heroin addict. No, no. Um, also, have y'all seen Paul Winfield make sweet love to Cicely Tyson? 
Mm. I have. I have. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a couple of minutes I won't have back. Um, yeah, I don't know how much I need to see black thespians in bed together anymore. Well, here's the, here's, here's the thing, disturbing thing about this for me, Vince. Maybe you can help me with this. Because I recognize, and I don't mean to um, speaking speak blasphemous here, but I recognize that Cecily Tyson is considered almost like an American treasure right now. Absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I got into a conversation just this past week with Mike Dennis of Real Black. And okay. I don't, I don't know, somewhere we started talking about like um, uh, Betty White, you know, how she's like the first lady of television and, you know, indeed an American treasure. And we started thinking about who would be the black America equivalent to Betty White. And Cecily Tyson was one of the names bantied about. Sure. Right. Um, But there's a part of me that feels like despite some of the accolades that she has achieved, uh, Cecily Tyson is her career is not as heralded as one might think it is. I don't think she is held near in the same esteem um, as some of her contemporaries, such as uh, Ruby D. Or sure. um, or even Diane Carroll, you know. Sure. And I w- wonder about that, you know. Um, seeing and 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 I admittedly have not seen many young Cecily Tyson productions. I mean, I've seen the big one that everyone talks about, which was the the, the TV film, the autobiography of Jane Pittman. Oh, Miss Jane Pittman, yeah. Um, and and I my recollection is that she's very good in that film. I honestly haven't seen it in a thousand years. Uh, and then pretty much everything else that I can recall with Cecily Tyson is a, an older older woman, which is right. where she's not asked to do but so much, but be you know the old woman in the in the room. So right. having not come across a lot of young Cecily Tyson, I was actually looking forward to seeing this seeing her in this film to you know see her chops and i was mm-hmm. disappointed by her performance in this film which led me to question whether or not you know you know uh is her career not heralded because it may not it may not warrant that uh spotlight You know, it's funny. I was sort of scrolling just now looking at her film work, her early film work, and she is not in as many films as you would think. Mm -hmm. She was, um, I think, the two that stick out around this period. She was in A Man Called Adam with Sammy Davis Jr. Yes, yes. And then she's in my favorite Cicely Tyson performance. She's in Sounder. Right. And then I, I actually like her in Sounder, but I think you're right. I, I think a lot of, of the and then she was on like two random episodes of television shows mm-hmm. that I remember. She was on an episode of the Bill Cosby Show mm-hmm. where she dated Chet Kincaid, mm-hmm. and then she was in a, an episode of I Spot, which makes sense because that's around. If I remember, that's around Sounder time, or not far. Or yeah, some 
like orbiting around there. And I think she was actually even nominated or does, if not, certainly was talk of nominating her for Sounder. I think she was nominated. Right. Um, so yeah. that makes sense. Oh, yeah. She, yeah. Sounder is where she got a lot of her acclaim. But I, I think you're right that a lot of of what we talk about with Cecily Tyson is when she Tyson is when she's an older woman. Yeah, it's Miss Jane Pittman, and then straight to being an older woman. And the funny thing is, in Miss Jane Pittman, she's younger, but she spends half the movie As in a, old lady makeup. Right. Right. So. Yeah, I, I often wonder that about her. And there's another name that I always banting about in my head is uh, Leslie Uggams, um, which actually did me. It made my heart soar a little bit when I saw Leslie Uggams turn up in uh, the Deadpool movies. Deadpool, yeah. Because, well, you know, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go, go. I was going to say the thing about Leslie Uggams, though, is that she's more in the Diane Carroll school where a lot of the times you don't see her in films because she does other stuff. Right, right, right. right? Like, you know, she sings, and, you know, she was one of those Las, Las Vegas, she had a shell mm-hmm, entertainer. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Cicely Tyson, out. Yeah, that's her, that's her calling card, right? You know, that's her thing. So so I agree with you that. Yeah. And, and, and this is not the performance I would have wanted from her in this. Right. Right. Yeah. So, Lynn. Yes. Would you recommend a hero ain't nothing but a sandwich? Well, I re- recommend a hero because, you know, everyone needs a hero. Yes. I would recommend a sandwich because why go hungry? I Sandwiches would rec- are delicious. I would recommend a hero as a sandwich because while it is just a poor man's hoagie, it is still can be quite enjoyable depending on where you purchase it from. But a hero that ain't nothing but a sandwich, I cannot recommend that. No. Yeah. I, I cannot recommend yeah. this film. I, I agree. I, I think, again, this is an example of a certain vein of film that was made during the 70s, mm-hmm. but of the ones that I named, you, you know, Black Girl, which we've talked about previously, um, Claudine, yep. and, and, and perhaps the film that is closest to this in tone, uh, Cornbread Earl and Me. Yes. I, I, think, I think this is a weak example of the 70s message film. Yeah. So I, I, I also would, would say that you can skip this. Shame, ladies and gentlemen. But if you choose not to skip it, then check it out. You know, who who are we to say? Uh, be your own judge. Go check out a hero, a nothing but a sandwich. It is available. I don't know. I I, I don't know where you checked it out, Vince. Um, I watched it in its you entirety for free on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, it's out there. Yeah. So uh, check it's it out. out. Check it out, ladies and gentlemen. Um, before we get to telling you what we're going to be watching next week here on the Michelle Mission, I invite you all once again to like and follow us on all the social medias at Me Show Mission. That's including on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Join the Facebook group, Me Show Mission, where we have a lot of fun talking back and forth with our fans and where we very, very often will be putting our shows up. As a matter of fact, starting this week, Vince and I have decided to record our episode, our 
our shows um, since we are doing them remotely. And we are going to be putting up the recording of the review into our Facebook group so people can check it out. Um, and we'll also we also made like a cu- couple of shorter videos of the the less the listener emails and our kind of like commentary on the on the industry industry. We made shorter videos of those that will be making those available as well. So join the Facebook group. That's where you can see me and Vince um, talking smack. And it'll it'll be edited, but it won't be as edited as the podcast. So it it enjoy the bloopers. Enjoy the reality of it all. All right. <laughs> uh the Michelle Mission is available as a podcast, ladies. Ladies and gentlemen, every place that you find podcasts, including MichelleMission.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, any place and every place that you find podcasts. And we are also a proud member of The Podglomerate, curated podcast for your listening pleasure. Go to ThePodglomerate.com to check it out. We're also available weekly as a radio show in an edited form every Saturday at 1 p.m. on WPPM 106.5 FM people powered media here in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection that we call Philly and the radio station is called Philly Cam and you can check us out every Monday wake up with the Michelle Mission at 9 a.m. on 91.7 FM WKDU the voice of Drexel University and one last thing, ladies and gentlemen, please join, check out our, if you can't check out our videos on Facebook, join our YouTube page. We've got a YouTube page. Look up the Michelle Mission on YouTube. We're going to put all of our videos out there for people to check out as well. And we'll have some special things going on up there um, in the weeks to come. And if you like what, what we're doing and you want to support us, the Michelle Mission does not have a Patreon. We don't want to do a Patreon. Um, we like the idea of trying to give you something in return up for your support for us. So go to MichelleMission.com and hit swag where you can buy all of our cool T-shirts and sweatshirts. Um, we've got I think we've got like about 10 different designs up there right now. Oh, yeah. and I'm working on like another four or five that'll be going up in the months to come. So check them out. They're original. They're very fly. They wear very, very well. And um, each purchase helps support the show. That's the best way you can support the show, along with giving us a five-star rating and review at any place that you find our show. And tell a friend. Please tell a friend. Holla about the Show mission. Okay? Absolutely. All right. Proselytize, folks. Please Go do. out. And once we get, once uh, now that we we're, we're kind of like getting this video thing going on, we you may see us popping up on some other platforms. I know Vince, we've gotten more than a few invites from other podcasts that want to want to kind of join up with us. So we'll see what All we right. can do to make that happen. That be All a lot right. Of fun. All, All right, right, Vince. Next week, what what we doing? What we doing, Vince? What we what we got? What we got? Well, unlike you, here we go going to keep it a little light and then I'm going to uh going to feature a film with quite the cast mm. of characters you, you know I'm talking about Jonathan Winters oh my god I love Jonathan Winters you've got me right there what okay what uh, is it I was about to say, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about Margaret Avery I'm talking Jonathan about Winters, uh, Margaret Avery oh my god yeah 
I'm talking about another child actor, one who, who I enjoyed his work a great deal, and he kind of vanished. Maybe we'll talk about him. Uh, James Bond Third. Oh, my God. I'm talking about Tony, an Oscar-nominated actress, Stocker Channing. <laughs> oh, oh! And now, Lynn, if you haven't figured it out, now you'll figure it out. And starring Metalark Lemon, as well as one Julius, Dr. J. Irving. I'm, of course, talking about 1979, The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. Yes! Yes! Oh, yes. Yes. See how happy you are, Lynn? Yes. See how much happiness that has brought you? Look at you. You are. You know what, Lynn? No heroin. <laughs> you wouldn't know it to see the movie, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got the silver soundtrack. Oh my God! This movie has three. This, oh yeah. This movie has three of my favorite things in the entire world. And, and those three things are? Stocker Channing is Absolutely. one of my favorite actresses ever. I love oh, yeah. myself some Stocker Channing. She doesn't talk about the fish that saved Pittsburgh that often. No, no. no, no. You know, Tony's, Oscars, well-respected. Yeah. She doesn't really bring up the fish that saved Pittsburgh. No, she doesn't. She doesn't. <laughs> Jonathan Winters is the man who inspired my childhood. I used to watch oh, yeah. the Jonathan Winters show, syndicated show on repeat as a kid, man. I okay. love myself as Jonathan Winters. Absolutely. And forever, including today, I will tell anybody in the world at the drop of a hat, I have three idols in my life. My dad, Batman, and Julius Dr. J. Irving. Then you will be a happy man. Mm-hmm. Look how happy you are. I wasn't that happy. Hubert Laws and his sad ass flute. <laughs> You know, the thing about this movie, A Hero That they, they you know about the sandwich, with that music, not it, it's not so much that it sounds like a TV movie. It sounds like those little, those films that they would show in school about right. not doing drugs. Right. I expected Black Dynamite to walk out and say, kids, stay off the smack. Don't bring no smack to the orphanage. Right. God. Well, God. Oh, so, yeah. God. Next week, the fish is safe. And instead of Hubert Laws, we get the silvers. We get the silvers. That's a winner. Yeah. That's a win. Okay, <laughs> next week, ladies and gentlemen, the fish is safe, Pittsburgh. All you Pisces, get him up. Get him up. That's right. That's right. Until then, he's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say... 
We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.